You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. From the heart of where innovation, money, and power collide in Silicon Valley and beyond, this is Bloomberg Technology with Caroline Hyde and Ed Ludlow. Bloomberg's World Headquarters in New York. And I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. This is Bloomberg Technology. Coming up, we will bring you the latest headlines in the world of technology, the run-up in the stocks, but also, of course, Donald Trump as he prepares to surrender to law enforcement officers in Lower Manhattan. And a deep dive into the world of electric vehicles as GM seeks to grow its market share. We discuss with GM's North America president, Steve Carlyle. And we'll speak to legendary athlete, entrepreneur, in fact he does everything nowadays, Shaquille O'Neal, who's expanding his global empire in a partnership with Genius Brands. We'll discuss the announcement and so much more throughout this hour. All eyes on technology, all eyes on the markets, all eyes on the Nasdaq, off by half a percentage point on the day, Ed. Interesting moves that we get also across the banking index. We're seeing big banks under pressure off by more than two, at one point more than three percent. We worry about the future of the banking, survival, like overall sustainability at the moment. How strong is the financial world at the moment? We hear from the likes of Jamie Dimon in his annual letter, really talking that perhaps this isn't over yet in terms of crisis of confidence. We see two-year yield, actually a bid coming in significantly to the two-year bond market. 11 basis points on the downside. That coming as we see some weakness finally in the job market in the United States. That jolts data showing the openings are coming back a little bit. Moving on, let's look at what key risk asset that seems to be moving away from tech stocks. We're still up on Bitcoin, up 1.5% even as we see tech stocks on the downside, Ed. Dig into the micro. Yeah, we kind of turned a corner on the Nasdaq 100 in the last hour. Many few movers actually moving to the upside. Alphabet pair of Google is one. Tesla on track for its worst two-day drop since the start of the year, the first two sessions of 2023. Virgin Orbit down 22%. A PSA is that it has now filed for bankruptcy, which we'll dig into later in the show. Bullfrog might be a new name to us. Bullfrog AI up 25%. It had been up more than 100% in the session, Caroline, on a licensing pact with Johns Hopkins, the university. Going to dig into that one later in the program as well. We're tracking the special purpose acquisition company, which is due to take true social public. The Trump-backed conservative social media platform. Actually, interesting, over the last five days, markedly higher as the attention has been on former President Trump. We're going to cover that story in just one moment's time, but we're pretty sharply lower in the session. It has failed to file its 10K, and there's some accounting work that needs to go on there. But interesting, the focus on conservative social media platforms right now because of what's happening in New York. And we're soon going to get just outside the Supreme Court of New York in a moment. But first, let's dig into the top performing stock funds, what they say about tech stocks, the run up in the risk rally that we've seen, many saying it's gone too far. Meanwhile, JP Morgan strategist Marco Kalanovic, he's saying that the first quarter stock rally is just 
the calm before the storm? Let's dig into it. None other than Bloomberg's Katie Greifeld. The rally in tech has some naysayers now. Mike Wilson <laughs> yesterday and now some key fund managers too. Yeah, the thing is you've heard investors, you've heard strategists say that this isn't something that you want to touch, that basically stocks have been sort of operating in their own reality. And when you think about all of the issues that were still issues, if we think back before the banking crisis, higher for longer. We know that sort of the optimism that maybe this would cause the Fed to pivot uh, was fueling tech stocks for a while, for the bulk of March. But now you're in a situation where you have the Fed officials from the top down really saying that we have a lot more wood to chop. There's a lot more to go here to really get inflation under control. And that's still an issue right. for these big tech names. Katie, we're three-tenths of a percent lower on the NASDAQ 100, but the run-up in stocks this year, it is mega-cap tech and tech that's been driving it. And as we think about the Fed, it's tech that's firmly in focus on why we're making those bets. Exactly. And I mean, you've seen this in a few different notes across Wall Street. Uh, Torsten Slot from Apollo pointing it out today that if you look under the surface of the rally, it's a handful of names that's really driving it. It's those mega cap tech names to your point, Ed. But again, if you bring it back into the macro situation where you do have a Fed that's going to raise interest rates here, that would become a problem for other parts of the sector. Maybe rising interest rates aren't as much of a problem for Amazon as they are for something like Virgin Orbit for example, but even still, that is a problem. And you now have a much more expensive tech sector than you did yeah. perhaps a few months ago. Particularly 24 times future earnings over in Europe. It's not just a US rally we're seeing in technology. But look at the jolts data. Can you bring us back to the economic perspective? Because that seems to signal maybe inflation isn't going to run so rampant. That's the thing. And if you look at today's price action, sort of the bond market is reacting how you would expect. You have two-year Treasury yields, which are most sensitive to rate expectations, down 11 basis points. But then you also have tech down. And if you follow the logic that you know some of the bulls on tech have been spinning, which is that lower rates would be good for tech, that doesn't seem to hold water today. So maybe you're seeing some cracks in the armor of that bull case. And quite often the bond market and the equity market don't always seem to agree. Katie Greifeld, you can catch up so much more with her a little bit later in programming. But let's talk now about former President Donald Trump preparing to surrender to authorities in New York City. His arraignment scheduled for 2.15 p.m. Eastern in Lower Manhattan, Trump's lawyer, saying he will plead not guilty, quote, very loudly and proudly. Let's get out to Bloomberg's Anne-Marie Horden, who is outside New York's Supreme Court. It is getting busy there. Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, just the park across uh, from the Supreme New York State Supreme Court, you have a, probably a little bit over a thousand protesters. Some of them are here in support of the former president and against these charges, and some of them are here for the charges and against the former president. And there was moments where actually there was physical altercations. We also had Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, which represents a district in Georgia. She was here for about 10 minutes' time. Very hard to hear her, though, because if you can hear now, these bells, these whistles, drums, they were all going on because those anti-Trump supporters, they were the ones that were here wanting to drown her out. All the action is going to be taking place in a little over two hours' time. The president, 
as you said, Caroline, will be turning himself in. And then at 2.15, there will be that arraignment. Already you are hearing helicopters around lower Manhattan. The former president will be making his way here from Trump Tower to the courthouse. We should note this indictment is still under seal. So a lot of questions, but the reports are that there's more than two dozen felony charges. And then after his arraignment and all the paperwork that is done and the fingerprinting, the president is going back to Mar-a-Lago to give a primetime address this evening. Remember, this is not just a former president. This is the leader for the Republican Party in terms of the front runner of the 2024 presidential election. All right, Bloomberg's Amory Horde in Lower Manhattan. Thank you. We learned 24 hours ago, Caroline, that the judge is barring broadcasters from broadcasting the arraignment, but we'll follow the headlines as they come through. Tesla increased shipments in March from its plant in Shanghai as the EV maker was wrapping up a record quarter of vehicle deliveries. That's according to prelim data from China's Passenger Car Association. The jump in wholesale deliveries to dealers follows Tesla slashing prices of its locally made EVs by as much as 14% at the beginning of the year and triggering a slew of discounts and incentive offerings from other car makers. Companies that followed suit ranged from Chinese EV startups, Xpeng, Neo, to international manufacturers like Volkswagen, Mercedes-Benz and Ford. Now, Tesla's monthly wholesale figures in China, they're probably a better indication of production rather than deliveries because they're not deliveries direct to consumers. However, actual Tesla global delivery figures, Caroline, hit a new record over the weekend, but still falling short of Musk's target 50% annual growth. And it's interesting, isn't it? We're trying to get a full picture of where EV demand is. Is it remaining with Tesla? Is it going to rivals? Is it just generally down on the fact that the economy is slowing somewhat? And we asked our audience yesterday, we went to you, went to Twitter, we asked you our usual daily poll. This time ask you, look, demand for Tesla EVs is, is it going to rivals? Well, 37% of you say it is. Is it hit by the economy? Mm, Only about a quarter of you think that. But actually, 39% pretty optimistic. They still think we're still full on in terms of demand for Tesla. What then of the rivals? What then of the build-up in EV sales coming from other companies? Steve Carlyle, I'm pleased to say, is with us to discuss the outlook from General Motors, his executive vice president, of course, also of the North American president, and recently updating the market on your sales, basically including, what, 20,000 EVs that you've been selling. How do you see the market share for GM at the moment? Well, market share overall, we, we had a pretty terrific quarter overall, including internal combustion. We uh, finished on, on top of the market in terms of retail as well as fleet. We're very proud of that. But to the point of your question, it's the first quarter that we broke through 20,000 electric vehicle sales. So, And, and that comes in a year where uh, we see it as a, a breakout opportunity for us. And the reason that I say that is our... Our Altium uh, battery plants are just coming online in uh, Lordstown, Ohio, and then later on in uh, mm-hmm. in uh, Spring Hill in Tennessee, and then in Michigan at the same time as we, we start to increase production of Cadillac Lyric and the Hummer uh, truck and SUV, and yeah. uh, we have several launches right behind that, so we, we see it as a, a sign to come. Dig in, though. The Lyric sales less than 1,000. Yeah. What was it, two Hummer EV pickups in the yeah. quarter? Yeah. When do these numbers become really real, really tangible? Very soon. We're starting to see uh, Lyric uh, shipments from the factory and in the pipeline increase dramatically. Um, and then beyond that, uh, we have a, a very solid order bank and uh, in committed customers in the, in the thousands. So I'm uh, very excited about that, uh, at, uh, that opportunity. Hey, Steve, Caroline asked a key point 
which is within that 20,000 EV number, a lot of that was Chevy Bolt. It doesn't reflect the new models. Give me granularity. Give me numbers on the production output currently for the next gen Ultium models and how that ramps through the year. Well, if I take the 20,000 uh, that we did in the first quarter, we see that growing to 50,000 uh, by the end of June and then doubling again by the end of the year. And uh, the growth uh, within that will be 100% plus of, uh, of Lyric and Hummer and Blazer and Equinox and, uh, and uh, beyond that. Bolt and Bolt EUV has done a tremendous job for us, particularly in the affordable uh, EV uh, part of the market, but where we see the huge volume um, opportunity is in the, in the latter products that I mentioned. And that, that continues to grow uh, into, into 24, where we see ourselves uh, you know, at the end of that time frame, kind of into the million range. So, but just to scale it, another uh, growing to 50,000 uh, in the second quarter and then to 100 um, by the end of the year. And Steve, to be clear, that's 50,000 to 100,000, that's driven by new generation models, not just a ramp in bolt. That's correct. It's driven by LTM-based models like Lyric and Hummer and Blazer and Equinox and so on, yes. Steve, are you taking market share from Tesla? Uh, well, we believe so. We, our share of the EV market has grown to uh, 8 or 9% uh, just in the past several months. And as we look at the share of our, our competitors, in, including Tesla, we're, we would appear to be gaining across the board. And we see that in our uh, reservations and our trade-ins. I mentioned Lyric. When we look at trades and, uh, and the like of that, we see a you know, preponderance of... Uh, of our competitors in that mix. So a lot of plus business for General Motors, particularly in markets where we've been uh, admittedly challenged, uh, the so-called smile states, including California, uh, where we appear to be over-indexing when it comes to EV sales, and that comes at the expense of some of those that we've just talked about. And that's the next question, isn't it? Caroline, we're thinking about the impacts of regulation, the impacts of government here. Steve just said, California is where all the energy's at. So what happens when the IRA kicks in, right? Yeah, Inflation Reduction Act. What does that mean in terms of, well, people's ability to be able to afford more cars? But ultimately, Steve, what about commercial vehicles here as well? Because you've got Bright Drop, the electric commercial vans. Is that in any way going to be helped by the government focus on the IRA in particular? Yeah, for sure. And just to back up, on California, I use that as an example. That's true across the country in terms of how we're over, over-indexing. But when it comes to IRA, we feel as though we're very well positioned, including the uh, announcements that were made late in the week last week. And the reason that I say that is how we've sourced the battery raw materials and the, the processing and the post-processing. Yeah. So um, we feel as though most of our models will qualify for that treatment, which can only help uh, the demand side, including on the commercial side of the business. We've had very good uptake on the bright drop uh, business, uh, for instance, and you know we're looking forward to. We're, we're uh, down in that plant right now, uh, retooling for even higher volumes. So mm. we, we see terrific opportunity there. Talk to us about ramp, about volumes, about shortages, particularly in chips that many auto companies yeah. faced. Well, the chip situation, I'd say, is normalized to a great degree. We still get in and out of that on a day-to-day basis or a week-to-week basis, but. Um, our availability, if, if I measured it in percent of uh, production, last year if we ran kind of in the, the high 80s, low 90s of available capacity, we're much closer to 100 this year, and that's a reflection. And, and it's a mix now. It's gone beyond chips. Uh, logistics factors in uh, to a much greater degree this year. So it's just those challenges that we manage day to day, which is why you know we're pretty happy with our performance so far and that we can keep
continue to gain share, whether it's um, internal combustion engines or electric vehicles, particularly right. as we're in this very rich launch uh, cadence. Steve, we're coming off a strong quarter for new U.S. car sales, right? There's evidence there was pent-up demand, higher rates, concern about the, the duress the consumer's under. What is kind of GM's economic outlook for the rest of the year? Uh, well, I'll speak directly to the, to the industry. We see we finished uh, the third quarter kind of in the 15.3 million unit range. And we would see that holding um, and perhaps accelerating a little bit through the... Uh, through the end of the year. At the same time as uh, transaction prices are also holding, incentives are staying at uh, moderate levels, uh, dealer grosses uh, appear to be stable, uh, used car prices stable. So all those ingredients to continue on a glide path of good performance uh, we, we see there. So uh, you know we're anxious to see what we see through the first quarter as uh, to help inform what we see through the rest of the year. But uh, we, in that, on top of, we have some ter terrific launches, as I've mentioned, whether it's internal combustion or EVs. So uh, we're, we're feeling pretty good about uh, 2023. Steve Carlisle, General Motors Executive Vice President, North America President out in New York, Caroline. Thank you for your time. Now, coming up, Apple and Walmart slashing jobs while Virgin Orbit files for bankruptcy. We'll bring you the details in Talking Tech next. This is Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Time now for Talking Tech. Today we're honing in on job cuts. First up, Walmart cutting at least 2,000 jobs at five U.S. e-commerce fulfillment centers. That, according to regulatory filings, the losses include more than 1,000 positions at a center in Texas, 600 jobs in Pennsylvania at a warehouse, 400 in Florida, and about 200 in New Jersey. An additional reduction is planned in California. And Walmart isn't alone. Apple 
also making cuts, eliminating a small number of roles within its corporate retail teams. That, according to sources. This marks the first known internal job cuts since it embarked on a belt-tightening effort last year. The company is shedding positions in what it calls its development and preservation teams. Those groups are responsible for the construction and upkeep, really, of Apple retail stores and other facilities around the world. Finally, Virgin Orbit. The satellite launch firm tied to British billionaire Richard Branson failed to secure the funding needed to keep operating and has filed for bankruptcy. Virgin Orbit had cut about 85% of its staff. The company listed $243 million in assets and $153.5 million for its total debt in a Chapter 11 petition filed in Delaware. Caroline. Now let's just shift gears a little bit. It's time for Wall Street Beat. And today we are focusing in on Jamie Dimon's annual letter to shareholders because not only did he talk about banking collapses, he also talked a lot about tech, a lot about ChatGPT. And let's run through it all with Bloomberg's Shanali Basak. First, let's talk about the banking implications because we see big banks down once again on the day. Absolutely. He talked about things hiding in plain sight. He mentioned that in terms of Silicon Valley Bank, but also Credit Suisse. Remember, this rising interest rate environment has posed a lot of different risks for banks that have seen deposit bases now. We are paying attention to this year, but really the deposit base across America's banks have been reduced by about a trillion dollars since 2022. And so a lot of pressure when you look at the smaller banks in particular, of which J.P. Morgan banks, 350 of more than 4,000 in this country alone. Hey, we got the uh, Jamie Dimon take on artificial intelligence. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating here. He goes into it quite a bit. And remember, this is a big deal for a few reasons, Ed. One, because he gives you a number here. More than 1,000 people involved in data management, 900 data scientists, machine learning experts, and more than 600 machine learning engineers. Remember, J.P. Morgan has a workforce of about 300,000. But when I talk to you about my other conversations I'm having, for example, with other banks, they'll tell me now that it's been easier to hire from places like Amazon than ever before and they're finding a lot of uh, benefits to doing that sort of thing as they build up their own ranks of technology to make uh, their businesses more efficient but also more competitive. He also talks about a 200-person AI group within JP Morgan looking at new frontiers. Lastly, in addition to AI and the ability to use AI more within JP Morgan's own business, he talks about the necessity of the cloud and spending over $2 billion on cloud infrastructure, cloud-based data centers to make this transition transition, which he calls hard work, but necessary. It's interesting that at a time where we know JP Morgan has, in many ways, said you can't be using OpenAI's technology when you're working within the bank, but they're obviously implicating and using it to fight fraud in particular, right? That seems to be a risk element here. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head here, the idea of OpenAI's technology versus technology that is self-developed within JP Morgan. There are so many rules around data and how data is communicated. This is a different example, but think about what happened with the banks and WhatsApp, mm. right? You're dealing with a lot of sensitive data across the world tied to deals or tied to customers. So this is a matter of choosing which technology is right. But the idea of AI changing this business is not up for dispute. All right, Boomberg, Sonali Basek with the Wall Street Beat. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Caroline Hyde in New York. And I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. Now, Ed, about a month ago, just a few weeks before the administration unveiled some of its most aggressive anti-hacking measures yet, 
Chris Inglis, America's first cyber director, actually stepped down from his post. Now, it appears the reason was primarily due to clashes with another top official. It's all according to people familiar and indeed some correspondence that Bloomberg saw. It all highlights basically deep internal strife within the president's new top cyber team. Bloomberg's Katrina Manson joins us for more on what is a Bloomberg exclusive, working closely with your colleagues on this. Is it just friction at the top that happened here? Well, if you go by what Chris Inglis said in his email, which we reviewed in the story that um, was led by uh, my colleague William Turton, he feels that uh, Anne Neuberger, the other top cyber official at the White House, withheld information for, from him mm. and uh, actually worked to undermine the very strategy that he was trying to roll out for the nation. This is the nation's first cyber strategy under, under his watch. And so it's a, it's a huge uh, accusation that he's making in private to a former colleague and certainly I think sending ripples through this uh, Biden administration that has talked so much about creating a joined up team to tackle some of the big cyber issues this country faces. Because right. it was seen as a dream team, wasn't it? These three executives all with really deep intelligence experience coming on at a time where we were worried. We were worried about infrastructure being impacted by hacking. Yes, and I think the US was not at the pace of the threat. I think many people would say it still isn't. So there is so much more to be done. That's what this strategy is supposed to, to fix. And to have had this problem at the top, uh, these claims that, um, and Neuberger also made some claims, she said that the new office that Chris Inglis was running, uh, that they were not, they were frequently unrealistic about timelines. Uh, there has just clearly been discord uh, between the two of them and between their offices. I think the question is to what extent does this undermine the actual effort to uh, face off this cyber threat? If you ask Anne Neuberger, uh, she says in a statement to us, reports of discord have had little, if any, impact on the proceedings. But I think you've got to look to the fact that Chris Inglis has resigned. Mm. For six weeks, that post has gone um, unfilled. There's an acting. But the administration now needs to nominate someone, and they're congressionally mandated to do that and at the moment there's no one uh, rolling out the plan to actually implement that cyber strategy and that's all to be done under the oversight of the NSC where our new burger is so w when we do speak to people we do hear that there is an expectation that this kind of friction uh, maybe not on the same level but certainly friction is expected to continue you've got two new officers yeah. in the same White House trying to do you know, some of the same job so Katrina the core of this is a turf war which we love in the world of technology. But it's also early days in the Biden strategy around cyber. So what's, it, what's the reaction? What does President Biden do to resolve this? Well, I think they have to appoint someone. Uh, we, we've heard that they are planning to appoint someone soon. Who that person is will be obviously very interesting. There are a lot of people endorsing uh, the acting uh, director at the moment, uh, Kemba Walden. She'd been in there for a long time. She'd been working uh, hand in hand with Chris Inglis. So I think Congress will be looking for you know, who do they actually want to give this role to in future? And to what extent is anyone, especially now with all of this out in the open, really going to try and make these teams um, work together. All right, Bloomberg's Katrina Manson, thank you very much.
The venture arm of Saudi Arabia's sovereign wealth fund disclosed its ties to more than 50 venture capital and private equity firms, including Blackstone and KKR. And one of the first public disclosures of its investments, the Saudi fund says it commits around $2 billion each year into, quote, venture growth and small buyout assets worldwide. Other firms it names include Andreessen Horowitz, General Atlantic, Hellman and Friedman, and Planum Equity. Let's stick in the world of venture capital in the U.S. and bring in Union Square Ventures managing partner Rebecca Caden for her read on what is still a digest of the post-SVB collapse and the health of ecosystems of American startups. Rebecca, I, I want to start right now with access to capital. Sure. What's your read on, on the health of startups and their ability to access capital in the weeks that have followed SVB's collapse? I think we're kind of slowly finding our norm. Um, there's definitely ripple effects and it's not gonna reverse so quickly. People are trying to figure out the world we're living in and the normal, but at the same time, there's a lot of exciting innovation happening. There's platform shifts that we haven't seen in a long time and investments are getting made. So it's a challenging ecosystem, but it's also still an active ecosystem. You've been writing checks in 2023. Who may I? I see one of them, Journey Clinical, one that you've written about and blogged about. Yep. This is about health, mental well-being in particular, but there is, of course, the all-important artificial intelligence sort of being layered in at certain areas, right? Yes, absolutely. I think, um, you know, everyone is abuzz with AI and for good reason, I think we're seeing opportunity and potential platform shift that we haven't seen in a long time. So layered on a complicated economic environment, there's a lot of cool stuff to be excited about. Can you dig in as to what the layers are that we should be looking at the cool stuff? Because is it the model makers? Everyone whispering ChatGPT and OpenAI seems to be the only company that we can really talk about. But there are the applications. It's the people with the bodies of data that these AI models can get to grips with. Who wins out here? Where is the actual money going to be made? Yeah, I think we're in a time with as many questions and kind of opportunities to discover as we are answers to that. But the first question is, where will equity value accrue? And we know the fundamental models um, and the LLMs are accruing a lot of value. But over time, we believe the application layer on top, how those LLMs interface with industry and with consumer will get really interested. Um, there's just a question of timing and, and how long that takes to evolve. Um, but we think, you know, the consumer applications and also how AI and some of these opportunities intersect things like education and healthcare are going to provide major opportunities. A-Life, for example, Ed, I just want to bring you in here. A-Life is one investment that Rebecca has talked about, and, and right. that really is an application of artificial intelligence to be able to actually increase your chances of getting pregnant. This is AI within the healthcare scene. But we start to see, in some ways, some marketing play here when it comes to AI too, right? Yeah, that's what intrigues me, Rebecca. Do you invest in companies that are working on the underlying technology, trying to move artificial intelligence as a field forward? Or do you go to those companies that are trying to seize the technology and offer a service using it? You know, I think there's going to be major opportunities in both. Um, but for us, uh, we're really interested in that application layer and that intersection with, um, you know, industries. And A-Life is a great example there. When you think about how uh, the opportunity for massive bodies of data 
to impact how diagnosing works or how you know women can get pregnant, how you can take um, opportunities where people are making decisions based on individual experience and bodies of knowledge and instead apply vast universal data sets to personalize that. Uh, you can think about how that applies to all kinds of different things and that application layer gets very exciting. Uh, you are a thesis-driven venture firm. How much were you paying attention to those 1,100 or so AI participants who said, time to hit pause on developing next-gen tech? You know, we're paying attention to that and also a lot of the complexities here. I think um, as with any technology shift, there's opportunity and there's also a lot of questions. And I think we've learned from prior technology shifts that maybe we don't ask those questions enough. Um, and AI is one where I think we really do need to ask them, where there's going to be massive opportunity to drive value, drive personalization, and drive access. But we also have to think about the implications. I don't know if that answer is the right answer, but um, it's on all of us, and particularly investors, to think about the questions and the um, potential falls, you know, as well as all the opportunity and value it creates. You know, we've been so busy, Caroline, recently uttering the words artificial intelligence. We haven't even had any time to say the words crypto and currency. Uh, um, we did a bit earlier with Dogecoin on the rise. That seems to be the new Twitter theme of choice. But Rebecca, Unisquare Ventures is focused on Web3, has been very involved in the crypto ecosystem here in New York as well. What, what do you make of the hype cycle that we see in AI, the hype cycle we saw in crypto and, and where the valuations are playing out right now? Yeah, look, crypto is in a challenging moment. Um, it's hard to, to argue with that, and um, partly for some good reason. But USB's interest in crypto is really about the underlying opportunity for decentralization and what uh, decentralization can do for innovation, technology, um, data, uh, drawing back power to the individual out of platforms. And we think that opportunity is stronger than ever, um, you know, just maybe not in those end tokens right now. Mm. So we think these will be, you know, cyclical and, and seasonal, but we're still really excited about it. Cyclical, seasonal, where now in terms of, where are you at in terms of finding the right founder and where are you finding that founder? You are based here in New York, but is this very yeah. much a global focus for you at the moment? Where are people building great technology? I think one of the most exciting things that's going on is that people are building great technology everywhere. Um, we're very excited about the New York ecosystem. We think when entrepreneurs have had a chance to choose where to live, many of them have chosen New York even more than before, and we're excited to contribute to that growth. But the USB portfolio is increasingly global. Uh, we think teams are increasingly global, and innovation is coming from lots of different corners, particularly as technology and industry intersect, and we think that will continue. Rebecca, we're trying to shape up the data, you know, how 2023 is going to look relative to 2021 and 2022. Growth rounds in particular seem to go away in 2022. Your, your industry colleagues talk a lot of, with optimism about early stage. How do you be nimble in that respect? You know, USV is a pretty focused fund. We really focus in on um, seed and Series A investments and then only opportunistically um, go a bit later. Uh, the early innovation ecosystem, there's a lot 
to look for there. Um, you know, we talked about AI, but we talked about crypto, but there's a lot of other corners as well where technology is really driving value. So early stage, we're seeing a lot of activity. Growth stage is harder right now. You're seeing the market really clench and wait to figure out where things land. Um, and I'm not so sure that's going to settle very soon. We think there may be, um, you know, it's still a stretch ahead. So 2023 may be slow there as well. Hey, Rebecca, you're out there in New York City with my good friend Caroline Hyde. What's it like being a VC in New York right now? What's the scene like? Uh, New York is thriving. I think um, it's an exciting place to build and it's an exciting place to invest. The community is really, really strong. Uh, we are seeing lots of people come through, um, think that they're you know, stopping by and wind up making it their permanent home to build companies. Um, the talent ecosystem has grown tremendously. I think you know, coming out of the pandemic, people felt a lot more choice about where they wanted to live. And when that happened, they love New York because New York is a fantastic city. It's not without its challenges, but um, it's a great place to live and, and to meet and to think about that intersection of how technology crosses the other ways we live. And so I, it's never been more exciting to be here as an investor. And we love drilling into it here with you, Union Square Ventures Managing Partner, Rebecca Caden. A joy to have you with us. Thank you. And Thank you. Well, we talked about the New York scene, Ed. Let's get back to your scene, the San Francisco Bay Area. In fact, two things you love. You love soccer too, and it's getting a new women's professional soccer team. We're backing from none other former Meta executive Cheryl Sandberg and with former U.S. national team stars including Brandy Chaston and founding partners as well. The $125 million investment is being led by Sixth Street and the group says it is the largest to date in women's soccer. And let's take a look in fact at alma mater, Meta for Cheryl Sandberg. Well, so the company is actually just trading flat today, even though the rest of the market is lower. The company has been actually relatively impressing Wall Street of late. Analysts turning more bullish on the stock. They're cutting costs, of course. They're stabilizing advertising trends, we understand. Facebook's owner, therefore, the stock looks more durable in looming economic slowdown, so say those sell-side analysts. Ed? All right, coming up, Warner Brothers nearing a deal for that Harry Potter TV show. We're going to bring you that Bloomberg reporting, which I have to say took a lot of people by surprise Friday night. Some headlines crossing the Bloomberg terminal. Twitter has been sued for layoffs of contract workers without giving notice. This is a class class action lawsuit, Caroline, which follows on from those 2022 mass layoffs. Headlines crossing the Bloomberg Twitter being sued for layoffs of contract workers without notice. Of course, that was a big part of Elon Musk's first action when he came into Twitter after buying it. Some pretty deep cuts. We'll track that story for you. This is Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise, and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done.
You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Warner Brothers nearing a deal for a new Harry Potter television series. Each season of the series will be based on one of J.K. Rowling's seven books, suggesting years of fresh content. Bloomberg's Chris Palmieri joins us with the details. The Bloomberg reporting is quite detailed that this is part of a broader streaming strategy. Chris, what do we know? Well, yeah, I mean, so uh, David Zaslav, the CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery, is, you know, the company's had some trouble since the big merger last year. Uh, people aren't convinced that the strategy was a sound one to do this big deal, take on $50 billion in debt. So what he's really been trying to do is refocus the company on some high-profile franchises that are going to cut through all the clutter. Certainly, it doesn't get much more high-profile than this, Harry Potter. And how hard has it been to convince J.K. Rowling to go this route again, to focus in on more TV series? Uh, this has been in the work for, for years, so previous management started it, and um, you know it's still not a done deal, we're told. It's, it's pretty close. Uh, you know, there's some issues that have emerged recently with Ms. Rowling. She's a very opinionated woman, and so uh, Warner Brothers is going to have to navigate that issue. Obviously, they want her uh, unique storytelling skills involved in this project, but probably don't want to make her the face of it, given her comments uh, about uh, gender issues. So, um, so this is a complicated, you know, big deal, but it looks to be close to being announced. Myself and producer John Hyland, we've been playing Hogwarts Legacy, Chris, on PS5, John on Xbox, whatever. But the point here is that this is a brand that, that is broader than just the films, right? How has HBO in particular used that strategy? Well, uh, you know, Warner Brothers has had the film rights for a long time. You know, they did the, the prequels, um, and, you know, this spills over into so many, you know, Universal has the theme parks, but, uh, you know, and classic the book publishing, but there's, there's so many elements of this that Warner Brothers can still tap. And these companies, you know, as they, you know, plan this big event on Wednesday, we're going to unveil the new Max, the HBO Max's new name. They need these sort of marquee properties, these long live properties that keep subscribers engaged. So that's really the, the big payoff uh, for Warner Brothers, this long-term, high-quality franchise. Seven series. Oof. See who can get their way through all of it. I'm sure many will. Bloomberg's Chris Palmieri, absolutely brilliant to have you. Thank you. Now let's return to what's happening right here in New York City. Former President Donald Trump preparing to surrender to authorities. His arraignment is scheduled for 2.15 p.m. Eastern in Lower Manhattan. Now Trump's lawyer is saying he will plead not guilty. Bloomberg's Amory Horden is there in the crowd outside New York's Supreme Court. It really seems to be more people, more jostling. How does it feel? 
Yeah, certainly since the last time we spoke just about an hour ago, there more people are starting to gather. Many of these individuals, I would say the crowd is split 50-50. Those in favor and are here to support the former president and those that are here to support his indictment and this arraignment and want to see the end of Trump world. We also should note there's been a higher present presence of uh, the security and the NYPD here and of course the journalists that want to capture a moment of history because this is not just a former U.S. president but this is the presidential candidate, a presidential candidate, but the one that's leading in the polls for 2024. And one thing that has certainly been very apparent since the news of the indictment um, came about is Trump's campaign every day has been updating us on how much money the campaign has been bringing in. And at this moment, it's north of $8 million. He has a very strong base, about 30% of the Republican Party. Um, But this really has made other Republicans come out and also go against the Manhattan DA and in support of him. And Marie, the judge is not allowing broadcasters in for the arraignment, but do we expect to hear from the former president? So I was speaking to someone part of Trump world just a little bit ago who was saying how there was this possibility the president would, the former president would address the crowd. Uh, that's going to be obviously very difficult, right? This this is a, a high uh, hostile place at times. I did see a physical altercation between two individuals earlier. Um, but we do know that the former president for sure will be giving this prime time address at his residence in Florida Mar-a-Lago. So when he leaves the courthouse behind me, he will go back to uh, Palm Beach, and that is where he is going to address supporters and also some very strong Republicans that support him in Congress. We had here today the likes that you probably would see in, Mar- in uh, Mar-a-Lago, Marjorie Taylor Greene, a congresswoman from Georgia, as well as George Santos, a congressman uh, not far from here from Long Island. These individuals came out in support of the president. You're going to see similar faces in Mar-a-Lago, and you're going to hear similar rhetoric from the president. Right. Remember, uh, he said that he was going to be yeah. arrested. And he said there would be death and destruction. Bloomberg's Anne-Marie Horden, thank you. Caroline. That does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology. Do not forget, so, check out our podcast yeah. there. Yeah, so much to recap. Apple, Spotify, iHeart, wherever you get your podcast. this is Bloomberg. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.